0: Expected upon looking back to see a terrible and incredibly moving entity if the mists were thin enough, but of that entity we had formed a clear idea. For the mists were indeed too malignly thinned, was something altogether different and immeasurably more hideous and detestable. It was the utter objective embodiment of the fantastic novelist's thing that should not be. Comprehensible analog is a vast onrushing subway train as one sees it from a station platform looming colossally out of the infinite subterraneous distance, constellated with strangely colored lights and filling the prodigious burrow as a piston fills a cylinder. But we were not on a station platform. We were on the track head as the nightmare plastic column of fetid black iridescence oozed tightly onward through its 15-foot sinus, gathering unholy speed and driving before it, A spiral, re-thickening cloud Of the pallid abyss vapor It was a terrible, indescribable thing Faster than any subway train Conjuries of protoplasmic bubbles Faintly self-luminous And with myriads of temporary eyes Forming and unforming As pustules of greenish light All over the tunnel-filling front That bore down upon us Crushing the frantic penguins And slithering over the glistening floor That it and its kind it swept so evilly free of all litter. Still came that eldritch mocking cry, "Tekalili, Lee, Lee.
1: Hey, everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey, Tekalili,
0: Lee, motherfucker.
1: And just in case you haven't noticed from the uh, passage, Steve was gracious enough to read at the beginning, we are talking the H.P. Lovecraft Classic at the Mountains of Madness. The story was written in 1931 and published 1936. If it's not on the number one spot of the greatest Lovecraft story ever written, it's at least in the top three. Oh, most definitely. And in some encounters I've had, it's almost treated as the Citizen Kane of weird fiction.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, instead of Rosebuddy says Tech Alibi. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Basically, what you have is an Antarctic expedition. They're going to determine a few things, age of rocks, to determine whether um, Antarctica is one continent or two, that kind of thing. Uh, There's a geologist who's the narrator, a uh, physicist who I don't know why he's there, a biologist, and um, an engineer who has created this fantastic drill that can bore, like, what, two miles underneath the, the to pick up samples.
1: Yeah, it's an absurd drill. So
0: uh, it's super drill. They go down there and uh, start doing their thing when they discover strange life in, that aren't supposed to be where they are in the rocks. Mm-hmm. So you have like this um, anachronistic fossil bed, which kind of leads the biologist to hijack the expedition and uh, start looking for more, more evidence of uh, fossils to see what's going on. And he finds these things, um, which are called elder things. <laughs> they're uh, barrel shaped aliens with uh, five pointed star tentacle heads and tentacle feet, and they have tentacle hands. There's tentacles, it's H.P. Lovecraft. Um, they're like half plant, half um, animal, super intelligent things. They find what, like eight intact ones, and then a number of of, of uh, partially decomposed ones, damaged ones. Mm hmm. And uh, they, they go to, to dissect it. And then all communication between the two camps is lost. So the, the original people go over to find out what's going on. And the entire satellite camp has been decimated, slaughtered, with, uh, with one of the, the guys and a dog missing. And some of the bodies have been uh, cut up like a butcher with salt found around. So there's this implication of cannibalism. And this guy just went stark raving mad, killed all the dogs, killed all the people, took all the Elder Thing corpses and jetted off into the mountains of madness. So the the narrator, whose name is Dyer, Professor Dyer, um, takes um, his graduate student in a plane. They go looking for him to see what's going on. And they come across this lost city uh, buried in a glacier, exploring the city. They come to find out that the Elder Things are actually the creators of all life on earth. There's a a quick history of the elder things and uh, the, you know, the rise and the fall wars with other cosmic entities, that kind of thing. And then something even more horrible is um, uncovered in, in the mountains. And that would be the Shuggath, which was the passage I read earlier was the big Shuggath reveal. They decide to cover it all up till there's going to be a, a a proposed second expedition, a follow-up expedition. And uh, they want to prevent that because of the utter horror at the mountains of madness. That's pretty much it.
1: So overall, it's, it's really a kind of an early explanation of the dangers of the media age because there wouldn't be another expedition. They have to stop if they hadn't been constantly reporting back what they're finding.
0: Right. And the whole first part of this book is basically the reports going back, back to uh, the mainland. So to Mm -hmm. speak of, how great they're doing and the great and wonderful scientific discoveries that they've made.
1: Of course, in the intro, I talked about how great everybody thinks this story is. I'm one of those people, by the and, way. And Steve is one of those people. And uh, I would be labeled by certain Lovecraft aficionados as a hater. <laughs> because for me, I don't like this story. It's it's classic Lovecraft and in all of his patron saint of adjectives glory.
0: But in this story, it makes sense because the guy who's narrating it is a blowhard.
1: Oh, absolutely, he's absolutely I, I, I a blowhard. It's written
0: like a, a a geology professor wrote it.
1: Now, <laughs> I'm I, I will not I will not you know argue that point as a piece on its own. Yeah, it's kind of like the the pinnacle because this was you know published i believe posthumously uh read right around the time of his death i think i
0: know it was rejected um by weird tales and sat and mm-hmm. it may have been one of those stories where he had more or less shelved it
1: right but 1931 we're talking about the we're getting close to the decline of his career right. the end of his life Right. And yeah. this story, I would say, is probably the pinnacle of his form. But yeah, I, overall, I think the the just sheer amount of detail that he puts into it makes it an exercise in 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 tedium for me. Anyway,
0: see, I I disagree. I like the fact that, especially in the beginning, that it's so detailed because it 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 sets up this illusion that um, Dyer actually knows what he's talking about because he clearly as the story goes on he doesn't I mean, mm-hmm. he's a geologist and he talks i mean he's like a super geologist really he can tell the age of rock formations just by looking at him
1: like he, well, he's a he's a super I mean, geologist like, for the 1930s
0: I, I don't know if there's a lot of people today who can do the kind of stuff that he does none of these guys are archaeologists what well, you have as a geologist who might know a little bit of archaeology. Right. But I doubt it. So there's no professionalism at all. patient mm-hmm. of what's going on great city. So I, I'm just reading it going this is bullshit because that's what he is inferring his having and Danforth having read the Necronomicon. And you read this like mysterious book with this shady past and this reputation of uh, driving people insane just by looking at it. Who's you say you're going to draw are necessarily going to be the correct ones. So if I, I were the, 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 what was it, the Stark, um, what's the next expedition? Starkweather more. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Starkweather Moore. I'd go on ahead, because these guys are obviously daft. Oh, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And they're they're from Miskatonic, which has a a questionable academic history
1: anyway. That's right. Miskatonic University, most dangerous college in the United States.
0: That being said, they also make other assumptions, uh, Dyer does. First off, as soon as these LC things are discovered, everybody's automatically afraid of them. And not because, oh, they're aliens. Um, and they might be hostile, it's just this automatic. Oh, they're aliens, I hate them, right?
1: Well, <laughs> that's xenophobia, yeah, yeah.
0: It's like acute xenophobia, but then later on, when uh, after they find out that they created a race and subjugated it and and fought <laughs> and fought a slave uprising and won, oh, they're men. They're they the men of their time. I feel, <laughs> I feel, I feel a kinship I feel with a them. kinship with these with these these bold elder things. Yes, yes. And the real horror are um, the escaped slaves who are just trying to live their lives. Correct me if I'm wrong,
1: but you know, you 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 mentioned the Shoggoths being the ultimate terror. Isn't there one more terror?
0: Yes, there's. I thought that that was the the one more terror was that there was like this shugath making machine mm-hmm. that was in this. There's this one mountain uh, that is older than even the elder things, um, and it's cursed, but they worship it, and it's unclear as to whether that is like a gate to like an extra dimensional plane where evil things are. They're really, I mean basically you know that um danforth sees something right which they call a proto-shuggoth so that's why i'm figuring it's like some shuggath making spawning point um and then he gives you just like the litany of of crap from the necronomicon which makes no sense you know in context out of context it's like shit that you ha- hadn't been mentioned at all throughout the entire story. And then, you know, you get like oh, the eye, the eye, the, that kind the of window, stuff. the window. Yeah. And you're like, okay, what does this actually have to do with anything? So the ending is kind of weak, I think, um, just for the horror of it. But uh, really, it almost seems like this is not a horror story, but an adventure story where instead of uh, bold protagonists who bravely um fight the uh, the inhabitants of the lost city you have a uh, cowards
1: i would tend to agree that these are that this is this is hp lovecraft's attempt at an adventure story in the vein of say arthur conan doyle challenger books yeah the lost world something like that but you know like in the way the horror at red hook was hp lovecraft's take on a detective story this is his take on that type of adventure story. He Help himself; he just had to like. He, he love crafted the shit out of it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah and, and, and yes, there are pro- there are definite problematic themes in here. Aside from just like kind of tacking a horror story at the end, there you could have gone the whole thing, even with the warning: uh, don't go back to Antarctica. There's like a shugoff spawn point there. You, I don't know. Worked it so. I mean, he he did kind of tips his hat to. Uh, Pose um, was it Arthur Pym Gordon yeah. Pym books yep. that ends in a Hollow Earth situation where uh, mm-hmm. they go into like this Hollow Earth thing, entrance in Antarctica and you could have had it so that you know okay well maybe there's a connection between Antarctica and Massachusetts underground right the right. Hollow Earth and that's the true horror is these things could could actually be in the subways. But instead, he like went all like random cosmic gobbledygook, and some week there's something hinted at that,
1: right? Right at the right time. At the right time, it could have. He could have in the in the Shugoth reveal sequence. He could have left that mysterious, and they got the fuck out and ran away.
0: I actually like the Shagoth reveal. Cause mm-hmm. It is the perfect way of saying something is indescribable, but describing it.
1: Right. <laughs> it's great. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, as I said, this is typical Lovecraft. It has everything we've ever made fun of HP Lovecraft over. <laughs> yeah. I still think it's the a solid... list. Oh, yeah, he has so many lists of, of things. And, when we were debating on how we were going to format everything today, I was considering right. doing the, one of the early lists that he did about the fossils and what fossils they found and expand that to an absurd level with like kangaroos and microwave ovens and things like that.
0: But he he more or less did. Um, that actually is a good point of discussion is how he builds up this mystery. And I think he did a really good job of that.
1: I uh, think, I think he built up the mystery really well, but I think that there are certain sections of the mystery that really kind of slowed things down. Like, I was really on board when he was doing the transcriptions of Lake's transmissions. Okay, right. Because Lake, Lake was, he was filling you in on all the information, but he was giving you the, he, Lake really should have been the narrator.
0: Yeah, hey, Lake's dead,
1: man. Yeah, Lake's dead, man. But his descriptions were terse, but you really got a feel of everything that was going on. Right. So like yes, his yes. description of the elder thing, you know, short three, four, five word sentences. Boom, 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 yeah, boom. But like the two people who haven't actually read this story, because I'm just assuming everyone's
0: read this story. Lake just does these series of transmissions where like uh, the, the skin is tough,
1: period. <laughs> right. The skin is tough. Like like a like an autopsy.
0: Yeah, well, they're, he's trying to perform an autopsy on. Him. He's right. trying to perform a, a, a well, a, a vivisection mm-hmm.
1: of the thing, and and
0: he can't. It's it's too cold. Um, the, the the skin's too resilient. It's too alien. Yeah, and the dogs are going crazy. I mean, he, you get like this he, from these short transmissions. You get this great feel for what's going on. I could just see him sitting there in the cold with the with like a fire going or a heater or whatever they're using trying to cut through this thing with like crappy tools because no one expected to have this.
1: Right. He's just trying to, he's like hacking through this thing with a bowie knife or something.
0: With the dogs barking in the distance, just going crazy because the dogs can't stand it. And this thing stinks. Right. And then, and then it stops and then everything stops and they come upon the camp and it's just a, a slaughterhouse where, where people have been eaten. Everything's missing. And you don't know what's going
1: on. I mean, you kind of do, because... The airplanes have been taken apart. The gas stove has been stolen. Yeah. The the best part of the can, the tin cans. Yes.
0: The tin cans have been ripped open, like, by someone who didn't know how to operate a tin can. can. I would think that that was HP Lovecraft's crowning moment where he was just like, those fucking elder things
1: don't even know how to open up a tin can. In a lot of ways, what the Elder Things did to Lake's camp mirrored what Lake was doing to the Elder Things.
0: Yeah, it was it's a nice piece of irony right there. Mm-hmm. Um, is that you know you, you you eventually come to find out that the Elder Things created life and uh, they they used
1: proto-humans as food and entertainment, As food and entertainment, <laughs> much much in the same way we use cats. H.P. Lovecraft even hates penguins.
0: Yeah, he does. I don't understand why he can't stand the penguins. It's, I mean, must you know, okay. mind that they're birds that fly in the water. I think it's just like water automatic bad.
1: Uh, possibly, but you know, they they comment on the grotesque penguins. Over, it's like, <laughs> dude, they're fucking penguins. They're blind, but yeah, I mean, it's just
0: a fucking penguin. I just don't understand what the initial horror of the Elder Things is. Once you
1: get over the shock that they're alien. Right. They And they look so alien. But, I mean, you know, really, in their torpor state, they look like plants. Yeah, they,
0: they look like underwater, like a sea sponge or something. Or a sea cucumber.
1: Yeah. You,
0: you get over the fact that they don't look like anything you've ever seen before, quote-unquote, even though they do. And... You you get to the fact that they created mankind as an accident or in jest. That was the big thing that they kept on saying. Well, who cares? Who really cares if if life was created as a joke um, to worship something or whatever? It was created or or happened. What does it matter? Or why? Or how? Does that really change anything in in the in the grand
1: scheme of things? Well, not really, because, you know, they and, didn't and, create... It wasn't like, you know, Genesis, where human beings are, you know, sprung whole cloth from the Earth. You know, it was a proto... It was the the essentially the missing link that the Elder Things created.
0: Right. So, I, I just don't see where the, the... Cosmic horror kind of... And we've talked about this before. Just doesn't really do that for me, because... I don't. I haven't put myself or mankind on a pedestal that we have like this grand place in the cosmos to begin with. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to be knocked down from. And just from the fact that these guys are all like super scientists and Lovecraft himself was an avowed atheist, so at least that's what he says, that uh, I don't understand why this is a scary thing. Uh, the scary thing is that, that they created a, a, a thing that slaughtered them whole wholeheartedly. I, that would be kind of scary that like, there's this monster loose in the world, but given the fact that the other things like had these intelligent beings, because it says that Chugovs became intelligent. Um, so that would be like enslaving your dog when your dog learns to talk
1: or your mule oh, well, you, you, well, you or you are whatever. making, making your dog. You know, a bunch of talking dogs pull a sled.
0: Yeah, exactly. Would you do that? Well, I mean, obviously, H.P. Lovecraft would because he was a racist asshole who believed in slavery, and that's why the elder things are are heroes to to uh, to dire eventually. It's true. It's true. Uh, they, they're victims.
1: They, yeah. they, uh, they, they, they are the victims. They're the progenitors of mankind. And I assume when we say the progenitors of mankind, that Lovecraft truly means Teutonic man. Right. Now, here's and, another thing. and then, then they fight the Migo. Okay.
0: Now all of this is bullshit, though, because it's it's just garnered um, by a fucking monkey man who read a book who's looking at murals from mm-hmm. an alien race who he can't begin to fathom their motivations. Oh so, yeah. So. Who knows? Uh, in in Dyer's the really the scary thing is that Dyer's the asshole, right? Dyer's the douchebag who like takes all of his own baggage and all the crap that he that he gleaned from his partial reading of the Necronomicon and projects it onto this race of of elder things. The elder things may have been like super benevolent creatures, and maybe the Shagas never had intelligence. Who knows? Or maybe it went down the way he said it did or maybe something completely different that never crossed anybody's mind but the thing is you just don't
1: know right but boy dyer is convinced he is a super smart reader of boss reliefs yeah having I mean, and
0: and here's a little bit nitpicky because
1: mm-hmm.
0: i know you got to get this information conveyed somehow and this was like before the days where where people thought about having like holocrons or you know, film or whatever, so you have these boss reliefs. Because like the super sciencey alien race that cre that can create life out of nothing.
1: Right. You uh, use and, biotechnology and for yeah,
0: who fought wars with with other alien races and won against some of them, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they they record everything with boss reliefs in the houses of
1: their cities. Now, the other, the other thing that is interesting is that he discusses while he's going through the boss reliefs and is discussing it. He explicitly tells us that the elder things had a system of writing and that, and the ones that lived underwater had a system of writing that was, you know, impervious to the pressure and and the water itself. They had right. waterproof ink, right?
0: No, no, but well, you know, bas reliefs can be a system of writing, and maybe that's what he was talking about, right? Uh, you know, like the Egyptians, uh, and and I think a lot of this is trying to evoke that kind of feel uh, because you know you have the arabesques and you have cartouches and pictograms, basically. Okay, so let's assume that it's kind of like a. a an Egyptian kind of situation with mm. the writing. Well, nobody knew how to read Egyptian writing until the fucking Rosetta Stone was right. discovered, which was until, basically, which was basically is, Greek on one side, um, Coptic on the other side,
1: mm-mm.
0: and so they could go, okay, this is this, this is that, this is the right. other thing.
1: Right. We must think that this this. And even that is based on an assumption that it says that all three pieces say the same thing. Right. Because the scholars could read the Greek. So when they read the Greek, they said, okay, this must be what it means in Coptic. Right. And now we can read the Coptic, and this must also mean what it says in hieroglyphs. Right. And that's the entire basis of our translation. Right. But we don't have anything like that for the elder things.
0: No, we absolutely do not. So, uh, that, and, and you have a guy who's untrained in linguistics, untrained in archaeology. He's a fucking geologist. No cultural anthropology at all. Not that that might not help with an alien race, but at least they give you somewhere to start. So, uh, unreliable narrator. Completely an unreliable narrator.
1: Well, very. Um,
0: I, As a matter of fact, he... I think the only reason he continues to have his job as a geology professor is because they suppressed all of this. Mm-hmm. So, so he wasn't laughed out by people who actually know what they're doing.
1: Right. Well, nobody gets laughed out of uh, Miskatonic University except for Herbert West.
0: That's true. So, yeah, So, but that's my big bone of contention is... Um, it, that don't really know whether this narrative is true. And that's kind of cool because that's like a big trope with Lovecraft is, um, is the narrator mad? Is this going on? Or is he just a heroine at it?
1: Right. right. Did any of this actually happen? Exactly.
0: And, uh, or, or, and in this case, it's like, okay, you have these things. Let's assume that there are, Um, elder things that did they were just hibernating because of the cold and there was a huge city and there's shutouts and all that but the way it went down and the way dyer says it went down are two different things
1: right absolutely And 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 further you know questioning dyer's credibility is he constantly you know he's been reading the news about this So, you know, there's also a little bit of an angle that it's kind of like the almost the conspiracy theory kind of guy who reads about it in the newspaper. So he's intimately has intimate details of, you know, what's going on, which is the reason why in his in his letter or his telling of the story, he's picking out these intimate details to make himself sound like he was actually there. You know, he talks about how many airplanes, how many boats, exact coordinates. And it's all things that... And he repeatedly tells you it's all things that are found in the papers. That's true. And and then he layers this fantastic story on top of it.
0: I don't doubt that he was part of the expedition. And I don't doubt any of that. I just doubt that he is a competent... um, He's competent enough outside of geography. Geology. Which we know he is a a super geologist. I'm not going to argue that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm just going to argue that I don't think that he's competent enough in any other field that he was writing about to draw the conclusions that he drew. And you're right, Lake would have done a better job, but even Lake, Lake read the Necronomicon and was the first one to kind of like go, remember the Necronomicon where they talk about the elder things? So, I mean, you you have a a lot of crappy assumptions going on Um, and maybe the Starkweather Moore Expedition would um, have competent scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody,
1: or some people from MIT or something like that. Well, I think they were based out of the University of uh, Chicago. Ah, so which is a great school. So there you go. Right there you go. <laughs> Misk- Miskatonic University is like uh, Strayer University. <laughs> some something Sal- like
0: that. Salisbury State.
1: <clears throat> Salisbury State. Sorry if
0: you live on the eastern shore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, some some type of little 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 it's trump university. college like that
0: trump university no, you're right it's it's a little university um and it probably has like its strengths mm-hmm. um but would i i trust like the more mundane sciences no i would you
1: know the folklore probably strong folklore strong they have a top notch like parapsychology department
0: yeah um <laughs> and, and you know the 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 medical department obviously is competent enough to recognize that Herbert West was insane, kicked him out. So yeah, you, I, you mentioned probably-
1: you mentioned Herbert West again, and we keep coming back to Herbert West when we we're making cracks about Miskatonic University. But you know, Dyer kept his job at Miskatonic University, and both of us are sitting here convinced he didn't know a damn thing of what he was talking about. Herbert West was right, <laughs> and got kicked out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes but Herbert west was right for all the wrong reasons he wasn't kicked out i mean in the i don't think he was kicked out because of of what he was trying to prove
1: it was his methods that were that people and his methods out. ended up getting shadier and shadier as time went on right. um truthfully as far as long form lovecraft goes as, as if you can probably if you haven't been able to tell i liked herbert west reanimator more than at the Mountains of Madness. Um, now, now, granted, for me, the the top of the form story was the Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, I I'd, I'd agree. Call of Cthulhu is very concise. It's constructed really well. I mean, the stories mm-hmm. within the stories. It's mm-hmm. uh, he gets he gets the pacing right because this one is like, oh my God, Dyer, stop talking. <laughs> I, I think. A lot of my, my
0: love of Lovecraft and my frustration with Lovecraft comes with trying to figure out what was done purposefully and what was a happy accident. Because I look at something like Call of Cthulhu and just the way that it's layered, uh, the way that it's set up, it seems like it's really well thought out and plotted really well. And, and then you read something else Um, like the horror at Red Hook, where you're just like, what the fuck is this mess? Here in in At the Mountains of Madness, because that's what we're talking about, um, has a little bit of both. And I'm wondering how much of it is supposed to be, like, this is the straight story that I'm telling, and how much of it is, um, are we supposed to trust Dyer? Because I don't, but was that his intention? Or was that just he needed a Mary Sue character To be like the all-around scientist to explain everything, and if if it's like if it's that, it's a little bit less of a of a great tale for me. But if it's if it's him laughing laughing secretly, going yes 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 yes, it's all bullshit. Because who could trust this guy? I think that's great. It's one of the things I like about Gene Wolfe is that he's not very obvious as a narrator some, or as a writer sometime, uh, which is great because who needs everything fed to them through a spoon or intravenously or whatever. Um, and, and I don't know whether that's intentional or not. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody does. And, you know, uh, every criticism that I've read of this story, like Price goes on about how it contradicts the mythos that he set forth in X story. And it's like, you know what? All these stories are being told by people, and every person has a different point of view and a different set of experiences and interprets shit in a different way. Of course the canon's going to be all over the place because people are all over the place.
1: Well, that and, you know, H.P. Lovecraft was not writing the MCU. No, and he certainly was not. So, you know, he wasn't trying to create a cohesive mythology around it he's writing stories where he borrows elements of the mythology from other stories and other writers and it becomes this kind of convoluted mess when you try to ascribe a continuity to it it
0: does and it, it but it doesn't if you just just think that maybe he's telling stories from different people's points of views and right. they're just going to be different stories it's like the Kurosawa movie Rashomon yes like, like Rashomon, you don't you have like a general idea of what's going on in the larger
1: picture. But down to the specifics, yeah, it all depends on who's telling the story. OK, I, I can I can see what you're saying there, that that the only the only coherent, the only piece in the in Lovecraft's universe that actually has everything in continuity is the Necronomicon itself. Right. Which, um, all of its protagonists have only read fragments of it. Right. Except for Danforth. Right. <laughs> He's read the whole yeah. thing and he ain't talking. Right. That's right.
0: tekeli Lee, motherfucker. <laughs> that was the thing that freaked him out, just uh, so everyone knows, was um, the tekeli Lee, which is the, the sound of the wind. And they thought it was the wind piping through the tunnels, mm-hmm. um, but instead it was the sound that the Shugoths make. Let's put aside the whole Shugoth slave narrative for a second, because Shugoths are scary. <laughs> Well,
1: yeah, are
0: scary uh, things, and you can you can feel um, akin with them because of you know they they were slaves that revolted, um, but you know they're scary things, and that probably talks a lot about how Lovecraft felt about uh, African
1: Americans. Um, but but the the legacy of the Shugoth, and we mentioned this when we were talking about um, Clark Ashton Smith and the Black Ooze. In uh, Sepentra Zeros. Yes. Now, the Shugoth is the progenitor to all of the the blob in the 1950s. Yep. Um, the giant space amoeba in Star Trek, 1960s. Yep. Um, you have Dungeons and Dragons. You had your black puddings, your gelatinous cubes, all these amorphous monsters. And particularly when you're talking about Dungeons and & Dragons and things like that, the amorphous right. Monster, and, and Call of Cthulhu, the role-playing game. Right. You have, have a Shoggoth. <laughs> right. When you, when, you, when, when you even get the inclination or intimation that a Shoggoth or a gelatinous cube or a black pudding or anything like that is anywhere nearby, players are always, oh, shit. Yeah, you run the other way
0: because they're, they're, they're OP as
1: fuck first
0: off uh, and they're completely alien mm-hmm. there's the, i mean they're invertebrates which is kind of weird on land they can just form whatever they need to do whatever they want on the fly so oh right. I, I need to i need to grab that thing arm oh what's that noise
1: ear right <laughs> go go shag off of
0: ear. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they're they're crazy freaks, and now you have a mountain chain full of them. Mm-hmm. That's scary, and and that is actually a scary thing. And even if even like you could have left it off there and not gone, you know, full on list of crap I read in the Necronomicon, and that would be scary, and mm-hmm. that would be enough, like. The Starkwater Moor expedition is doomed if they go there because they're going to be overrun by Shoggoths.
1: Right, and and this story actually, you know, you mentioned before we went on the air about oh, the uh, thing. The it, thing is linked with the Prometheus, um, and a lot of people link this story with the thing, with the alien creature being very much like a Shoggoth. It can, uh, it's infinitely adaptable. Right, and you know, in in the in our modern mindset. Where evolution is fact, and we think of the apex predator, and we think of everything being a, a creature that can adapt itself to. Now, why'd you bring West Sorry, <laughs> the apex predator. <laughs> <laughs>
0: obligatory West,
1: West reference because we have to have an obligatory West reference in every game. But a creature that's infinitely adaptable to any circumstance that can serve—it's an um, extremophile—is probably and and extremely large. You know, water bears are extremophiles; they can survive the vacuum of space and stuff like that. But they're so small you can't see them. But we're talking about an extremophile that's infinitely adaptable and the size of a New York City fucking subway car. Yeah, well, Boston. Well, Boston subway car, but that is a that's a that's a frightening thing to think of.
0: And now there's a a, a mountain chain, not a mountain, but a mountain right. chain, the largest mountain chain in in the world, full of them. <laughs> right. Uh.
1: the, the and, oh, and you come away with it knowing that these things, if they wanted to, could conquer. Every army on Earth, wipe out all of humanity.
0: There's absolutely nothing you can do, especially in nineteen thirty. Right. When you didn't you had nothing. You had it was conventional arms.
1: Conventional arms. I mean, airplanes were still a very new thing. So, you know, dive bombing them and shit like that. I mean, we wouldn't actually see what we would consider modern aerial combat until nineteen forties you don't have any bunker busters or anything like that right you know you're you're still dealing with the logical extension of you know world war 1 you know yeah you've got tommy guns and dynamite and stuff like that but you know these these things could if they wanted to they could but they want just want to be left alone i will say
0: that my appreciation of the story um Grew and Trank. I hadn't like actually read the story in a long time, but you know, uh, the last time I read it, I was like a teenager. Like read read the actual text, not like a comic book version of it mm-hmm. or a synopsis of it or, or a podcast about it. And I, I'm definitely seeing a lot of of the subtext of Lovecraft's um, just problems are definitely in here. Mm-hmm. But also the just a lot of the subtleties of of how it was written. So it, it, after uh, reread x amount of years later, um, it still remains one of my favorite Lovecraft books stories.
1: I can appreciate for what it is. Um, I can pre- appreciate it for what it what it has done for the genre of science fiction and. Role-playing games and and these sorts of things, and how it's influenced um, pop culture, essentially, right right, since its inception. I, I just, it's not something I can get into, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I made the Citizen Kane reference at the very beginning, is that while, yeah, it's it's you know the greatest of it, of it's the greatest, it's not really the, the greatest. You know, you can appreciate it for what it is, but you don't necessarily have to like it. So we agree to disagree. Uh, I, I think it's more of a, uh, your mileage may vary. Yeah, that's true. Because it's it's definitely, it's if you're a Lovecraft fan, this story is full of everything you love about Lovecraft. Right. Um, It's full of everything you love to hate about Lovecraft as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true as well. It is the ultimate love expression of Lovecraft is not my cup of tea. Fair enough. And that's about all the time we have for today. If you like the podcast, be sure to give it a like, subscribe to us on Podbean. Uh, you can also find the podcast on Stitcher and Spotify. Spotify. So, yeah, you can stream us all over the damn place. Until next time, keep 30 luck points. Yep. And
0: you'll need them if you're going to the Mountains of Madness.
1: That's right, because you need them when you're at the microphones of madness too. That's true. Oh, we forgot about that reference. That's where the show's name comes from. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> hey, we went for like a whole hour without even
0: saying, "Yeah, well, we named our show after this." So-